Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. We have a big, big show today, so let's get right at it. Later, we'll meet the star of one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Jenny Slate stars in Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. It's a new stop-motion animated film now playing in theaters. She voices the resourceful, one googly-eyed seashell with a pink pair of shoes who searches to find community after a family upheaval. It's part poignant, part absurd, and all wonderful. And we'll let Jenny tell you all about it in just a little while. First, though, let's meet Dylan Smith. The son of filmmakers, Smith had an eye on a career in hockey until he was sidelined by an injury and discovered theater. He is now an accomplished stage and film actor who has performed on Broadway, appeared in films like 300, Total Recall, Murder on the Orient Express, and many others. He'll next be seen in Prime Video's largest title to date, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. The series serves as a prequel to the events that we all know from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy and focuses on the forging of the Rings of Power and the One Ring in the Second Age. It begins on Prime Video on September 2nd. More on that series just a little bit later on in the show. First, let's get to know Dylan Smith, who joined me via Zoom from Australia. I want to go back a little bit. We've got a bit of time here, so I want to go back a little ways here. Um, I know your family history. Your mother is an Academy Award winner uh, for her short film. Your father is an Academy Award nominated director. Uh, but you say that even though with that end, you had an uncle that was a, a, an animator, There's a, the, the family is in show business, but you say that if you had dinner with them, you would never know it, that they would, they did not sit around and talk about showbiz. What was a family dinner like around your dinner table? Well, my parents were in the National Film Board of Canada, and, and that's where they made the, the, the first pass at their career. And um, although they come from news and journalism. Um, so we had the, we had just, we had the National Film Board in our lives all the time, often at dinner. Um, I think it was a very artistic, it was very political home. Mm -hmm. um, a very artistic home. I, I was an ice hockey player. I was the black sheep of the family. Um, I keep saying ice hockey player because I've been in the Southern hemisphere. That's it's, right. I, I was a hockey player. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, despite that, I was being babysit in, in NFB editing suites. Um, I was uh, being taken to filmings of ballet and contemporary dance when they were doing gala. Um, so yeah, I was exposed to a lot of it and it, it was in the language, but dinner was family, politics, 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 <laughs> and, um, and then lots of culture, but not people, not necessarily people talking about film any more than any other family, especially nowadays where everybody seems to be talking what you're watching on Netflix. So, <laughs> well, you were a hockey player, a nice hockey player, uh, and you <laughs> even went to a scouting camp. Uh, how serious were you? Did you think that you might be a professional player at some point? Oh gosh, I don't, I, I was ambitious to a certain point. Um, I ended up, getting a scholarship to go play to school in the States called Chote Rosemary Hall, which was also an opportunity to maybe use it for academia. Mm. Um, and uh, it was from there um, that I came back 
to Canada to do the scouting tournament called the Great North Tournament, I think it was called. And in the final, in one of our final games, I had my shoulder dislocated for the 10th time. Um, <clears throat> second operation, and I called it quits. It was yeah. just too much pain at that point. So I think I was, I, I became very aware that my injury, that, you know, you, you better be in fighting shape when you get to the NHL because you're going to be, you know, it's just going to be depletion year after year. But if you're as injured as I was going into the early stages of that hockey, it was never lost on me that I was a hurt athlete. Yeah. And what was it like? And this, I guess, harkens back to my first question more. But what was it like growing up with an Oscar in the house? <laughs> and where was it? Was it on display when people came over? Because if I had one, I would be wearing it on a chain around my neck, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, it was in a box in the basement for most of my life. Wow. And only in recent years, through enough familial pressure, we've been saying to my mom, can you please? Um, and we started sort of coercively getting my dad to put up his Oscar nomination, his Order of Canada, that kind <laughs> of stuff. Uh, all the accolades from... Um, uh, from the Boys of St. Vincent as well as Dangerous Minds. And then my mom, I think, sort of ruffled her feathers a bit and said, oh, what the hell? And now it sits buried in a cupboard that's open. If you look, you can see it. If you remove a Santa Claus puppet that's being placed over top of it. So it's not, yeah, it's, it's hard work to get my parents to talk about any of their successes. I love that. Uh, you discovered avant-garde theater first. So after the hockey injury, uh, you were drawn to this. Now, it makes sense, having heard the backstory, you're going to filmings of ballet and, and very steeped in the arts and that sort of thing. But what was it specifically about avant-garde theater that really drew you in? It was the physicality of it. Mm. To, uh, often it was very movement-based, um, stories communicated and communicating stories. I think I love the abstraction that it was communicating stories, not just with text. You're listening to Dylan Smith on the Richard Krause show. His new series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, debuts on Amazon Prime on September 2nd. And I, yeah, my mom had gotten word um, from her dear friend who she used to produce, Adrian Clarkson. She produced a TV show with Adrian when they were much younger. Um, so Adrian inevitably has her finger on the pulse of every great artist in Canada or the rest of the world. And we were tipped off about Robert Lepage doing um, his production of Needles and Opium. And he happened to be doing it in Burlington. And as we were driving back from Connecticut, where I was at school, she took me to see that production. And it was such a physical production. He was on a harness uh, on a screen that would fold down and become a trampoline and the shadow puppetry, all the various forms of theater just felt very accessible. I kind of understood that storytelling mm -hmm. on a stage can, can have all forms of shape to it. And then as I started to study it, uh, I, my first year at University of Toronto, when I was taking the acting program, I met this young Polish, who's now a filmmaker, a guy named Rafał Sokolowski. And um, he was studied in the Grotowski form of theater study, which is entirely physical. 
Um, we did a one-man show with no words, playing two character, the observer and the observed. It was a complete physical rehearsal experience. And that stuff, yeah, I just felt like I, I had something to, to actually say with my body more so than with words, yeah. It, it feels to me like it's the perfect melding of the, the family background in show business and, and filmmaking and that sort of thing, plus the physical demands that come with being a hockey player. So you just bang those two together and there we are sitting here years later talking about your new TV show. For sure. I always say, I know, I, I think there's some other actors who do the same and it is often driven certain pockets of the arts industry. And that's when I say it, but I say it's always for me being very much like sports. You have an audience. If you, especially when you're doing theater, I'll never forget a championship game. I was playing in Montreal. I was so in my head. I was captain of the team. My coach empowered me because they had an incredibly strong offense to play defense I had such a self-awareness that I individually led in three goals. And I always equate that to stage that if you are anywhere, but in your very first moment, in the first moment of walking on stage, then you're outside of the performance and the jokes don't land, the drama doesn't land. It just loses that sparkle. But if you, you have to be completely in the moment, all the preparation that you did in a sense you have to leave out of the room and you have to begin at the beginning and sort of trust your instincts and to me it was a very similar playing field to oh you know high level sports it, it can be kind of hard to understand that i've often heard actors say rehearse 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 and then forget everything and then do it and that's what it, it and it always seemed counterintuitive to me but i understand it now i think a little bit better yeah entirely i think you know, especially I think performance isn't, um, you're reading other people's words. Mm -hmm. You're often being moved and directed in somebody else's vision. And yet you still have to begin every play by jumping off the cliff. As if you don't know the next word right. that you have to say, all you do is listen to the first person that speaks to you engage in that space and you know hope that the rest goes well um and uh and and yeah i think that's the key with acting in general is absolutely i'm a big advocate of study i've studied at university of toronto then went to theater school in england then came back to toronto studied um countless physical theater disciplines uh, other forms of vocal disciplines so I'm a big believer in that, but I also have come to realize, and actually Lord of the Rings is the first time in my life where I properly dared to be bad. It seemed a hell of an operation to choose to practice this, considering I'm on set <coughs> on the biggest TV show in the world. There's a crew of 5,000 people. I've been flown to the other end of the world and I've decided to practice. I have no idea what I'm gonna do in this next moment, but I don't give a shit. let's see. And, and that sort of, and it, just because I started to realize that, that in fact, I think the, the, the kind of sparkle dust mm. that comes from movie magic 
it, it really comes when you're willing to fail. It is interesting because this is one of the biggest television shows uh, ever made. And I would have imagined that every moment is carefully planned and everything is because there is so much money and time and there's 5,000 uh, uh, crew members, but you were able to make that happen for yourself. That's really interesting. And, and when did you know? When did you know when you when you were going to be able to just say, I'm going to let this go and let the character and my instinct take over? Well, I, I mean, it, it's, it, it's a three-part quick story, which is first table read, quote unquote, a working table read with yeah. the director. Show up, there's microphones on every table, there's high powered cameras, the showrunners stand up, give these ecstatically gorgeous speeches about this is the start of our, our journey and they tie it in like the nerds they are to Lord of the Rings quests. And, and, and I realized in that moment, this isn't a table read, this is a performance. And, um, but I hadn't prepped anything, so I committed to nothing. And when I got home, I said to my wife, somebody's getting fired and I think it's me. And then I got pulled into the director's office, J.A., who basically was wonderful. He cut a long story short and was like, just be funny. Just be funny. I was like, we're done. He's like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> and so went back the next day, got a laugh. And at that point, I kind of thought, oh, I mean, those, I, I dared to be bad in the first read through by not committing to something that I couldn't back up and it failed. And then the next one, I tried something quite simple and bold and it worked. And I kind of thought, man, this is, this either happens or it doesn't. And then cut to our set. And in the introduction of my character, I was given a giant, I think it's called a Welsh, I don't know what kind of, giant rabbit, giant rabbit, to make me, this prehistoric Harfoot, look small. And its name was Flopsy. And I was carrying it forever and forgot. And sort of then at some point asked the show owner, sorry, why am I carrying a rabbit? And they were like, because it's dinner. Oh, I'm eating this rabbit. Okay, that's good. And then I had this thought of, they were in waiting for another character to enter. You see me sort of sharpening a tool. And I said, it'd be pretty funny if that rabbit was just like right behind me being all innocent, just while I'm sort of blindly sharpening tools. And then to relax myself with 5,000 people, I started singing little ditties in the lead up to rolling, where I'd be like, Flopsy, Flopsy, you're so sweet. I can't wait to eat your feet. Or Flopsy, Flopsy, you're so fine. I'll pick you clean right to the spine. Literally just to myself, and then suddenly the showrunners popped down. They're like, Dylan, the song. And I was like, no, no, it's my prep. You're not supposed to film that. That's just we're like, we love it. Just keep coming up with new ones. And then they popped away. And so it just sort of made me go, oh, yeah, like, you got to be loose. Yep. You've got to be in your own creativity. And as you say, on a show that's 5,000 people, we were a world that were entirely ensconced in nature no studio for us um so we had the luxury of being in sets that were stunning we were supposed to be in these carts that had the capacity to disappear like camouflage right. because the prehistoric carfoots 
<clears throat> only mode of survival is to stay unknown right. um, because we're essentially refugees from one of the last great wars and we have no home and we've decided we have to always keep moving and always stay hidden. You're listening to Dylan Smith on The Richard Krause Show. His new series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, debuts on Amazon Prime on September 2nd. So we had these carts that were completely camouflaged from the nature. And if you climb to the nearest hill, you literally could not see our carts. That's how, <laughs> that's where all the money went, was all in the detail. And um, But even then, in that, in that pastoral setting, there's two 75 foot techno cranes, 5,000 crew. You do have to walk within an inch of your life. Stay here, stay there, because huge set pieces. But even within that, if, if anything, I find that those, you know, those conformities force you to find something completely unexpected and loose and spontaneous within yourself. You've got to bring magic within, we need, you know, we need you to be here and be there and be there because we got flying <laughs> coming in behind you, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, it was. So I think <clears throat> for me, getting to that point on this show was a matter of circumstance, mm -hmm. and then also I think faced with something that could just be a tidal wave of pressure. Part of the pushback to claim my space was to go. Eh, let's see what happens. If it falls on its face, well, well, then we can do another one, right? You you do have that money, I hope. Well, your character is named Largo Brandyfoot. You talked a little bit about what a Harfoot is. That's the, your species. Is it, that's your that's your your kind. But tell me what I need to know about Largo Brandyfoot. Uh, Largo is um, a loving, doting father who's filled with mischief. Um, he is the, um, he's the father of Nori right. and Dilly, the husband of Marigold. Um, he's the wheelsmith in the community, which is a very important position considering they're traveling migrants. Um, and we are people that have been in this migratory pattern for hundreds of years. We have very strict rules of how our society must be led to protect ourselves. And um, of course, I've got a daughter who's coming of age of uh, sort of her own thinkings about how things should be done. Mm. And um, myself and my wife are sort of grappling with adoring and trusting our daughter, but also wanting to protect her and sometimes protect her from herself and while also trying to trust her and empower her. Um, and I think my character uh, loves the mischief in my daughter and, and he, yeah, he just adores Nori um, beyond measure, admires her authenticity uh, and her bravery. And he's kind of an enabler for her to be as mischievous as she wants. One final question. You say that you are an actor in films that people love to kill. You've been killed 10 or 12 times. And I've always heard that if you're killed on film, you have to make sure that you land in a comfortable position because you're going to be laying there probably all day. The best thing I ever heard about getting killed was from a stuntman who was like, hey man, it's best death day. You ever play that game when you were a kid? Best death, that's all it is. And I've found as soon as you go, oh yeah, it's best death. 
when I did that at home with my friends, I gave the best data. Um, yeah, whether I've been killed through hour of the neck, shotgun to the chest, blown out by the, by the actor who played Willow. Um, and uh, I just think have a lot of fun. But it's a great note, actually. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Once I had to die by falling down a shaft and snapping my neck, and I had to lie bent upside down for the rest of the afternoon, and it was not fun. That's our time, Dylan. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Yeah, yeah real pleasure. Lovely. I love I've loved watching your shows, by the way. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, that's really yeah, cool. Thank you. thank you. That was Dylan Smith from The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, which begins on Prime Video on September 2nd. You know my guest, Jenny Slate, as the voice of Tammy Larson on the critically acclaimed animated sitcom Bob's Burgers, as Mona Lisa on the sitcom Parks and Recreation, uh, as well as for films like Obvious Child, which won her the Critics' Choice Movie Award for Best Actress in a Comedy, The Secret Life of Pets film franchise, The Lego Batman Movie, and Despicable Me 3. Recently, she starred in the critically acclaimed Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Her latest film, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, expands on her popular YouTube videos that feature a talking seashell outfitted with a single googly eye and a pair of miniature shoes. All right, so I'm making like a little documentary. Oh, it's like it's a like... movie, but nobody has any lines and nobody even knows what it is while they're making it. Mm. No. It is one of my favorite movies of the year by far. So I began by telling Jenny Slate just that. Jenny Slate joined me via Zoom from Boston. You know, I was just sitting here uh, looking through some texts. I wanted to to read a text to you. So I saw Marcel uh, ages ago at a press screening here and loved it. And I came home and I was raving to my wife about how much I loved it. And she and a friend of hers went to see it uh, the following Saturday. And she texted me afterwards. And I can't find the text right now. But she says something like, well, that movie is just about perfect. And we, we, we love it around here. So I'm glad we're able to make this happen. Oh, thank you for telling me that. That makes me feel really good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Tell me a little bit uh, about what you mean when you say there's not much of a boundary between me and Marcel. What does that mean to you? Well, I guess that means a bunch of things. I mean, first it means that I'm putting a lot of my own perceptions of, and some of them are just my own aspirations or wishes for how I would like to express myself or have a sort of uninterrupted um, perception that, that isn't like affected by um, you know, posturing or like trying to seem a certain way. Um, you know, like Marcel is like pretty straightforward, and um, and so like a, I don't know, a lot of how he feels um, are kind of like transmissions from my own interiority. If, if that makes any sense, like they're. Um, they're examples of how I really, really feel. So in a way, I get to kind of like um, copy myself onto his character. But I just think he kind of has like <laughs> a more successful personality than I often have. <laughs> Do you think that because much of the dialogue is improvised and has been for the YouTube shorts and now for the for the feature film, that it gives you more of an opportunity to bring yourself to the character rather than if you had sat down and, and uh, written a script in a more traditional way? Well, I think 
you know, we did have writing. It just is not the traditional process where you, like, write out the script and that's what you record. We started with a, a treatment and then, you know, like a long-form written document, and we improvised off of that. And then Ian Fleischer Camp, our director, and Nick Paley, our co-writer, um, who wrote it with us, they would go through that audio, and then they would um, sort of, like, pull out the audio that worked and write scenes in between or, you know, like, listen to something I had improvised and then, like, oh, uh, this could be really, like, way more specified. So, in a way, yeah, like, I feel like I am, am able not just to be um, more free, but, like, because I also know that Dean and Nick are going through it and making sure that the heart of what I'm expressing is is really, really clarified. Um, I, it, it, it's almost like, you know, if somebody could take your <laughs> your therapy sessions or whatever um, and, and go through and be like, I think at the heart of it, what you're saying is this. And, like, what your narrative of it, it, it is is this. Um, but, you know... It's not exactly like that because there are lots of elements of the story that um, Nick and Dean themselves, without me, like went through and they were like, oh, it, you know, the story actually needs to make a, a left turn here. And then they would come back to me with um, with a new thing and be like, you know, we want to go in this direction. And then we would re-record. And um, it's just layers upon layers of opportunity to be able to meet something truthfully. And that, that's really great. You're listening to Jenny Slate on The Richard Krauss Show. Her film, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, is in theaters right now. And you've been voicing Marcel since 2010, so it's 12 years. How has he changed over the years? Do you feel that the changes that perhaps have happened in your life are reflected in him? Or is he a character and it's there are two separate things? Oh, I think. I think the biggest place where you will see change is in me as a person because I'm allowed to change, whereas, like, Marcel is allowed to deepen, but, like, he has to always stay consistent with the person that we met in those first shorts. Um, But I think what has changed is that in me, I've become more accepting of moments where there's, like, stubbornness or doubt or... Um, even just like being fairly fussy, like I, I, there are moments in, in the movie when Marcel really is, is very stubborn and very closed off. And, you know, 12 years ago, if you had asked me if that was in him, I would say like, I wasn't sure, or maybe, or I couldn't really imagine a situation where that would come out. But because we got to make this movie and put Marcel in like a greater story where he's looking for his family and his grandmother's getting like really, really old and much more frail. And he's also like discovering the internet <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> of course, there are moments for doubt and disillusionment and also like validation. And um, I think, I think Marcel represents, at least for me, um, a lot of acceptance of um emotions that might be labeled as negative and that that is something that i've gone through as a person and as a performer as well well i'm interested in finding the tone of this movie as i told you earlier we loved this movie and i think we loved it because there were moments in this film literally where i was sitting laughing and crying at the same time and it 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 approaches grief and loss in a way that uh, considering 
the characters, little shells with one googly eye and, and shoes, shouldn't be as affecting, but it really is. So you've got this childlike character with, who has such deep insight into things, able to, to bring real human emotions to this. And I think that is just the, the, the real overwhelming success of this film. Oh, I'm glad you think so. And yeah, I mean, I think Marcel, you know, he himself like is not a child. In fact, we don't really know what his age is, but we know that he's, he's not like young enough to be like a baby or a kid, but he's not old enough to be as old as his grandmother. But that said, what he has is a straightforwardness and honesty and of and like a an openness or a vulnerability that that for a lot of us gets kind of like shamed away or it gets exhausted out of us in, in one way or another. And I think like what you said, you know, I, I shouldn't be feeling this height or depth, whatever you want, of emotions uh, because of this like one eyed shell, like googly eyed thing. But in fact I think in life a lot of times we're like, why am I so activated? this small experience why did this thing make me cry in front of you know my co-workers or whatever why did why did these things happen and I think I think what we tried to show is that like the truth is that things emotions um, affect are simultaneous and a lot of times we experience strange mismatches and like those are the times also when we're not really able to hide our emotional state and when more than anything, we actually want to be able to express it. And I, I just think that was really important for us in making the movie to show the truth of, of um, emotional existence <laughs> and, um, and to also not be so, you know, supercilious about it or stuck up about it, to, to place it within the, the vessel of this character, which is this, like, little shell with a googly eye and a, and a small voice, and, and to say, like, here's a comfortable way to face um, the the vibrant, deep way that we all actually emote over our everyday lives. You are listening to Jenny Slate on The Richard Krause Show. Her wonderful film, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, is in theaters right now. There are some scenes in the film that uh, go very deep and then are almost immediately followed up with a, a punchline of a sort. So I'm thinking of uh, my, my, I think my favorite line and a line that I have been using over and over and over again is Marcel uh, talking with uh, 60 Minutes. I won't give anything much away, but talking with 60 Minutes. Marcel, how long has it been since you've seen your family? I couldn't tell you, but a space in my heart gets bigger and louder every day. Hmm. Dean, do you know how long? That's two years. Two years. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to know. My favorite line in the movie, that's nice to know. It's such a great, uh, simple line, but it has made me laugh now for a month and a half since I saw it on film. Yeah, I love that line too, and I love that moment, and that's a really good example of a, um, you know, purposeful writing with improv in it, and um and I think the reason why that scene works so well is, like, you have that genuine reaction that just happened for me in the moment um, where I, you know, as Marcel, I'd be like, oh, you know, like, oh, that's nice to know, whatever. <laughs> um, and, and I think, again, it is that feeling of, like, relief, too, that, like, you, you do get a glimpse of, oh, oh, okay, this has been moment by moment really difficult for Marcel and he hasn't been turning away from how long it's been since he lost his family and 
he's living it day by day and he's watching the world be the world while he's still here waiting or wondering where they are or trying to move on and he's been doing all of that but you don't have to hold it for very very long you know it's kind of like a hot potato of emotionality it's like you do get the realness of what it is and then um you know from dean's perspective he just says it like in human time it's two years and he's not being rude he's just being like totally straightforward and taking marcel completely seriously and you kind of get it all and it is it's, I'm glad you like that moment because I'm really proud of it as well. Oh, it's it's my favorite, and that line uh, has gotten a lot of use around the house here. So, uh, I'm wondering uh, if you've ever thought of writing a Marcel the Shell self help book. You're listening to Jenny Slate on the Richard Krauss Show. Her film Marcel the Shell with shoes on is in theaters right now. I think that he is so wise. I think that there are lessons to be learned, and I would love to have that book. Isn't there, like, a doll of, like, Winnie the Pooh? Yeah, yeah. I can see how that would work for sure. I think, you know, the the, the thing about Marcel is, like, he is really easy to connect with. I, I think, and I mean, maybe I just say that because I find it to be the most cathartic and the most um, inspiring thing that I can do is to play this character because I, when I see myself... Um, existing within him I see more options for myself and I also um like am gentler on myself about you know the aspects in my own personality that maybe I don't love so much and um but I also think you have to be really careful not to make him into a gimmick um that said I love talking about the philosophy behind the character I think there is a living beauty there and maybe it would be nice to make a little um, Marcel self-help book. I, I, I wouldn't rule it out at all, and I, I think it would be a great pleasure to do it. I, I will look forward to having it on my shelf. <laughs> yeah, no, just like for my, for my own mental health to start working on it in my, you know, alone time. Well, this film took seven years to make, uh, so how do you maintain enthusiasm for something over that amount of time? It's sort of like saying, like, how do you keep loving someone that you love? Like, you mm-hmm. just keep loving it. That's actually kind of like a strange thing to say because, of course, like, I made this movie with my ex-husband. Yeah. And, and so, like, our relationship also changed during the, the making of the film um, from, you know, being a husband and wife to being co-workers and friends in a new way. And I think, like, a lot of making, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, art or creative things or making films or I find, like, also in the process of doing stand-up, like, continuing to reconnect. You have to allow for it to change. You have to allow for things to fall away um, and come back and reconnect and be respectful. And I think, like, that process is, to me, very enticing and very rewarding. So it is, I think, engaging with a piece of work, having patience and having respect. And um, I think that's how you maintain the excitement is that, like, you see yourself as someone who's coming back and doing this good work and you know when you go to bed at night that you're someone that participated in that and it makes you want to do it again like mm-hmm. kind of like those people who do like the, the, the swimming in the very very cold water right. I think like that or you know or like if you're if you ever like get back into like let's say I, I go like long periods of time without um, going to a yoga class and like the first time I go back, I'm like, oh, my God, there's no way. I can't do anything. And, you know, like my whole the inside of my body is made of like cold soup. Like there's no there's no muscles here anymore. And then you go a few times and you're like, I can't wait to get back in there. 
you know, and I think that's the start of any creative process. I'm always like, I'm going to fail. There's no way. I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to do it so badly, and I want to be someone who's strong enough to do it. And then you return, and you return, and you return, and suddenly you're, like, super, super strong, and you, you need it. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. What a pleasure to speak to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me, and, and I'm so glad that you and your family enjoyed the film, and it, it really actually means, like, truly a lot to me to hear that. Um, this is, you know, my favorite thing I've ever worked on, and um, there's a lot of my own life in there, so it's, it's nice to get the encouragement. Well, we, we did love it. And we actually met a while ago here in Toronto. I hosted the Canadian premiere with you for Obvious Child, year, whenever that was, whenever that was. And then we went out and had a drink afterwards because your plane was delayed. I can't remember or something. We went upstairs to a very fancy bar and drank Heineken's for a little while. And then you were off to the airport and gone. But, uh, that sounds right to me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> that was Jenny Slate on the Richard Krauss Show. Her film, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, is in theaters right now. Go see the movie. It's really great. Big thanks to Jenny. Also, a big thanks to Dylan Smith. Check out The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on Prime Video starting on September 2nd. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.